Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20? John chapter 20, we'll begin in verse 30. I'll read this passage out for us, verses 30 through 31. John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take our seats. Well, good morning again, and a very warm welcome to those of you who are visiting with us, perhaps for this weekend, maybe graduation, or for any other reason, we're glad you're here. Our task uh, this morning is to establish the reliability of the Bible. And the case that we are going to be making is that the primary way to establish the reliability of the Bible is by hearing the voice of Jesus in the text. Now, we are not saying that there are no, uh, there's no um, reason or his, for historical kinds of arguments for the reliability of the Bible. That, that, that certainly is a valid approach. And indeed, if you are interested in that kind of thing, I have written a couple of papers, both on the historical reliability of the Old Testament and the historical reliability of the New Testament that are available for you uh, this morning. Uh, They are at the bookstore, and they're free, and you can pick them up as you leave. There is certainly validity in discussing the historical uh, elements of the reliability of the Bible, but the case we're going to be making this morning is that the primary way to establish the reliability of the Bible is by hearing the voice of Jesus experientially through the text. In our own lives this morning. Now, we may ask why are we thinking about the reliability of the Bible. Let me very quickly give you three reasons why this matter is important. First of all, Christianity is a religion of the book. A Bible-less Christianity would be a Christ-less Christianity. If you are a Christian, therefore, you will want to be reassured of the reliability of the Bible, for without the Bible, we cannot know who the Christ is. And if you're not yet a Christian, and we always hope that there are folk who will come to Cottage Church and explore the Christian faith with us, the way that you will discover who Jesus is, is through the Bible. For Christianity is a religion of the book. A Bible-less Christianity will inevitably, in time to come, become a Christ-less Christianity. So, of course, we need to think about the reliability of the Bible. The second reason why uh, this is an important matter for us uh, today to consider 
is that in the last 150 years or so, there has been an increasing wave of criticism against the reliability of the Bible. And in particular, in the last few years, that wave of criticism of the last 150 years or so has become popularly much more well-known. YouTube videos on it and all the rest. And so, of course, uh, for those of us who want to find out about Christianity, as well as those of us who are Christians, we need to be confident that the Bible is truly reliable, given this increasing wave of criticism against the Bible that has become, in recent days, uh, much more popularly well-known. Though, actually, this uh, wave of criticism is not just against the Bible. Actually, that wave of criticism is against any kind of authority. And a similar sort of wave of criticism has washed up at the feet of any kind of authority in the, the world today, uh, governmental authority, uh, the authority of the media, the authority of schools, any kind of authority has received a wave of criticism, for behind that wave is a, is a, a critique of authority in general, and as a Christian I would say ultimately a critique of the authority of God who establishes good authority. But certainly there's been a wave of criticism against the Bible, so we need to be clear in our thinking about why the Bible is reliable. But the third reason uh, we should think about this is because of these two things, and in particular the wave of criticism, uh, in the last fairly recent time, the last few years, and again it's becoming more frequent, there have been in church circles... Ministry philosophies that are telling us to marginalize the Bible, to put the Bible on one side, uh, not really to have the Bible central. After all, it has been so criticized, and people have become aware of that. And so in church circles, we have been told, um, don't really have the Bible central. And so, well, we need to think about that because Christianity is a religion of the book. And without the Bible, a Bible-less Christianity will become a Christ-less Christianity in the end, inevitably. So for those three reasons, we need to think about the reliability of the Bible. And as I say, the case that we're going to be making is that the way, the primary way to establish the reliability of the Bible is through experiencing the voice of Jesus in the text. And so that will be our task this morning. And to do that, I just want to point out to us very simply on this Mother's Day uh, four words in the passage that we're looking at together. The first word is the word written. Written. John says... Uh, Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book, in John's Gospel, but these are written. In other words, uh, John, in writing his book, was very deliberately selective. There's lots more that he could have written, but he did not. 
these are written for a particular purpose. And as we're considering this morning, that we might experience the voice of Jesus in the text. Lots of things he did not write down. Indeed, one uh, scholar estimates that uh, John left out as much as a third of Jesus' total ministry, what he said and did, at least a third. And if that's, uh, if that's the case, we uh, just have scattered throughout the, roughly speaking, three years of his uh, life of ministry. We only have a couple of years or so of it. A whole year isn't here, which is an extraordinary thought. John is very selective for the purpose of the Bible, is not just to give us lots of information, but to lead us, as we'll see, to faith, to experience the voice of Jesus in the text and to respond to that. And in particular, as you can see from the context, if you have a Bible open, you'll see this. If you don't, I'll just uh, show it to you. Right beforehand, uh, Jesus encounters Thomas in one of the most famous resurrection experience, uh, encounters of Jesus and Thomas uh, had been struggling to believe, uh, but he sees Jesus, the risen Jesus, and Thomas, uh, verse 28, uh, says, my Lord and my God. Uh, but Jesus then says to him, amazingly, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is a blessing on those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, none of us have seen the physically raised Jesus. That's us. How are we to encounter Jesus and have that blessing? Well, the answer is in what John writes. How amazing is that? There is a blessing on those who have not seen and cannot see the physically raised Jesus, but can read the book and hear the book read and explained and encounter Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are they, that is us, if we believe. How amazing is that? And therefore, how extraordinary is it that there are church leaders today who are saying that they do not anymore want to say what dear old Billy Graham used to say when he was preaching, which was, the Bible says, uh, the Bible says. They don't want to say that. Well, fine, if you don't want to say what Billy said, that's, that's fine. But how about instead you just say what the Bible itself says, which is, it is written. Written. That's our first word. Uh, the second word is the word you. So look at verse 31. Uh, John says this, but these are written so that you... John is um, now turning uh, his attention out of the narrative 
and that world of the story, and he's turning his attention to the readers, the readers of his book. And what he's saying is, look, this is for you. And of course, who is the you? And the answer is, that is us. This is for you. This book is for you. You who cannot, have not seen the physically raised Jesus, it is written for you. Now, I think even those of us who love the Bible and honor it tend to underemphasize the significance of this point. It's for us. Uh, when uh, the Bible was uh, first published in the English language, it caused quite uh, an uproar. Um, it, it, the Bible was first translated into English language by a man called Wycliffe, uh, but there was no publishing at the time, no printing. And so uh, the Bible wasn't actually published in the English language until later. Uh, a scholar called Erasmus, a humanist scholar, had had published a Greek New Testament, uh, the Greek obviously the original language of the, of the New Testament, uh, not, a, not a very good Greek New Testament, but the best he could do at the time. He published it at a great hurry in order to be the first one to publish the Greek New Testament, and he achieved that. And then a man called Tyndale uh, took that Greek New Testament and translated it into, into English and uh, published, but he didn't, he didn't finish uh, the whole Bible. Uh, he was killed uh, before he could uh, finish that work. And one of his disciples, a man called Coverdale, uh, then published uh, the Bible in the English language. As I say, when it was first published, it caused quite an uproar. So, for instance, the, the Bible that was then published was huge and uh, was really intended for churches rather than for personal. Uh, it was too big to carry around with you in your pocket or hold in your hand. These were big Bibles. And um, they were placed in various prominent churches in, uh, in England at the time. Three copies were placed in uh, St. Paul's Cathedral uh, in the middle of London. And the story goes, and this is well tested, there are many different uh, witnesses to the validity of this story, that when these three Bibles are put in St. Paul's Cathedral, different places around the cathedral, a special stand was put there for the Bible so that, uh, it, 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 so that people could see it. When the Bible was put there, literally the, uh, the, the various priests, when they were performing their services got rather miffed and frustrated because they were trying to do their services, but the people kept on interrupting because they went up and started reading from the Bible. So there were those priests doing all their religious paraphernalia, and suddenly they'd be reading from the Bible, and it would interrupt their services. And I say, good for them. Good for them. The Bible is for you. It's for us. And I say, if ever it came to be that College Church in our worship services was not reading from the Bible and not preaching from the Bible, I hope very much that the members of this church and the regular attenders of this church would interrupt the service and stand up and say, stop that rubbish. Give us the Bible. Because it's for you. It's for us. 
The Bible is not the book for scholars. It is not the book for priests. It is not the book for the experts. The Bible is the book for the people. For us, give us the Bible. John says it's for you. So the second word, for you, written, for you. Third word, believe. These are written so that you may believe. Uh, Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, that is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of the King, the Messiah, who would come to save us. That Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, that is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, that Jesus is the one who was to come to save us from our sins, the King who would save us, and that he is the Son of God. That is, as John puts it in his famous prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh, human. So these are written for you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God, that he is God, divine, Fully God, the Word that was with God and was God and became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. And John, who saw Jesus, is writing this for you that you might believe that He is the Word became flesh, the Son of God. And you say, well, how do I uh, believe that? Well, John tells us that He's written these signs. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. I think John is thinking about these signs, but also thinking about the words of Jesus. He says, which are not written in this book, but these it is written. And he's talking about all that I think that he has said. Uh, But it would be a good exercise, wouldn't it, if you're wrestling with your Christian faith, or you're not sure who Jesus really is, to go back through John and read about the signs. There there are probably seven of them. That would be a, a usual summary of the number of signs. There, were, there may have been more, but depending on how you calculate and categorize, but seven. And then the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that is signified by those signs, and therefore is the ultimate reason for believing that John talks about, and that's why they these appearances of Jesus, and then that these are are written for us to believe. And Jesus sends the disciples to write what they have seen that we might believe, John being one of them. And just before this, amazingly, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, meaning the apostles, the disciples, So that this might be written for you that you might believe. That is us that we might believe. And it would be a good task to go back through those signs. I I don't have time for that this morning. But let me just point out one for you. It's John chapter 4. 
If you have a Bible, you can turn to it, but you certainly don't need to. I'll, I'll read it for, for you. Uh, this is uh, Jesus' healing of the official's um, uh, son. He comes back to Cana, this is verse 46, in Galilee, where Jesus had turned the water into wine, that first of his signs. And there's an official whose son was very ill. And the official comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his son because he's about to die. And Jesus sort of complains in a little sense or says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Um, And the official says, well, come down before my child dies. And then amazingly, verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word. You see, the sign is accompanied by the word. The word that was with God and was, with, was God and became flesh, the word that is Jesus incarnate, the word that is inscripted for us, is written to us, the written word pointing to the living word, the sign accompanied by the word, and the man believes. And amazingly, actually, it is, uh, um, Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. He spoke and he was healed. When we read about who Jesus is, it becomes, and the signs he did and the words he spoke, and it becomes difficult not to believe. For these are written that you might believe. So that's our third word, believe. Written, first word, you, second word. Believe, third word. And the fourth word is life. So these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that is through Jesus. Now what does John mean by life? Well, to answer that question, we'd have to look at the ways he uses uh, that word life throughout the gospel. And right at the beginning of the gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 4, John says this, In him, God, was life. That's quite a mysterious thing to say, isn't it? That in God is life. And uh, John's gospel is the... uh, the early church fathers noticed uh, was in many ways the, is in many ways the spiritual gospel. There's depth here. And when John says in him was life, what he's saying is that the kind of life that, uh, that comes through believing in Jesus is not mere existence. All of us here are alive in that sense. We're existing. But in God is life. Real life, ultimate life, when you come alive, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the light shines in the darkness, and these are written that you might believe, that you might have that life. But then John says, uh, 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 John records Jesus' uh, teaching, 
that those who believe in him have passed from judgment and death and have life. Now that is an extraordinary thing to say. What Jesus is teaching then is, not only is the life he offers different from mere existence, the life he offers is a new realm in fellowship with God through Jesus that those who believe now have entered into. And they have passed from judgment and death to life. This is why as a a Christian, you can be assured of your eternal destiny, that you will live forever, because in that sense, you already are experiencing that life. You have passed from the realm of death and judgment. That is, you're no longer under the, 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 the wrath and judgment of God. You now have passed from that death, the, the, the God's wrath from the, 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 the judgment of hell. You've passed from that. You're now in the realm of life. Wow. That you may have life. You can have it now. As Jesus says, uh, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That is that life that now begins, wells up into eternal life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die. Yes, we will have to go through physical death. Even though he die, yet will he live for eternity with Jesus. And what is eternal life, Jesus says? Eternal life is knowing him. And if we know him, we are already beginning to experience that life. And then as he concludes that whole theme, he says here, these are written, first word, so that you, it's for us today, a blessing that Thomas didn't have who saw the physically raised Jesus, but that we may have, so that you may believe, third word, believe what? Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah the one who came as king to die for us that we might not experience death but have life, the Son of God, the Word that was with God, that was God, that dwelt among us, became flesh, and that they, the disciples, the apostles, saw and now have written that we might believe that he is God. And then uh, the fourth word, that by believing you may have life. See, that's how we establish the reliability of the Bible, by hearing the voice of Jesus in the text. These are written that you may believe, and by believing, have life. Now, I know sometimes it can uh, be hard. 
But I think it is well expressed in the words of the poet George Herbert, who put it like this. I raved and became more wild at the word, but methoughts I heard a voice saying, child, and I replied, my Lord. Or as Thomas put it, my Lord and my God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for uh, this that is written, the book. We thank you that we may experience a blessing that is, it's for us. Help us to make the most of what you've given us in your word. A blessing of believing for life. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would give us that life in increasing abundance, individually and here as a church. And in our families. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.